I was like, I, I, I felt so overwhelmed by the information and what I felt like was the revelation of it that I, I immediately went to, oh man, I hope I deliver this well. Uh, I hope I deliver this well and it's clear. Because if we can collectively put all the pieces of this puzzle together that I'm going to lay out to you and see this beautiful picture, which is my job to hopefully do that well for you. But if we can put this all together, I believe it is a very powerful personal revelation for all of us and also a really powerful uh, idea and revelation for what we are trying to build in community with one another. If you weren't here last week, I don't normally say this, but I encourage you to go back to last week on Facebook and listen to the message because it really sets the course for what we're trying to accomplish this year. Of course, there are other parts of what we want to do, but our main focus this year is ending the terrible disease of loneliness in our city. Come on, in our county. Which means that we will not let anyone out there be isolated and alone. We believe that the greatest way that the gospel can be in action is when we find those who are isolated and lonely and we, we invite them to be a part of our community and we connect with them and see them and let them know that somebody cares. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that we cross by their paths every week who inside are lonely and isolated. And we don't want anyone here to feel the same thing. How many of you know that you can be in a relationship, people around you all the time, and still feel isolated and alone, right? We don't want that to be anyone's, uh, anyone's experience. So that's our hope this year, that we would end the terrible disease of loneliness, and it's something that every single one of us, including myself, can be a part of furthering that mission this year. This is going to tie into that idea at the end of it, but I want to talk specifically about breath, bad breath. No, I'm just kidding. Breath. I want to talk about breath, and I want to talk a little bit about how breath is described in the scriptures. And I want to give you, I, I, uh, there is an album out right now that I've only listened to about mm, two-thirds of it. But if you know who Corey Asbury is, anybody know who Corey Asbury is? He wrote, um, um, give me this, the big songs he wrote. He wrote Reckless Love. He wrote, there's another... My Father's House, we do that one. He's written, literally, he's one of, I would say, the top five writers in all of Christian music or worship music. He's amazing. He's brilliant. He put out on Instagram this week, and I don't think I've ever seen another artist do this for another artist in their genre. Um, But he put out an Instagram this week, and he said, go listen to this album. It is the best worship album that has ever hit Christian music, in my opinion. And it's by an artist, his name is Benjamin William Hastings. Benjamin William Hastings. And he put out an album. It is raw. It is authentic. It is hard-hitting. It will make you think. It is so amazing. Benjamin William Hastings is, is, is the artist's name. And he only has one album out. It's the one that just came out. Some of the tracks are only about 20 seconds long or 30 seconds long because it's him just riffing off of something or saying something leading into the next track. But... It is an unbelievably raw and real and beautifully lyrically written. I mean, I believe from the heart of God. But one of his songs that I'll read the lyrics to here in a moment um, has a line in it that messed me up. It was just one line, and I was like, oh my, that idea, that concept. Let me see if this checks out 
theologically, scripturally. And so it had to do with breath, and I'll, and I'll read that line in a moment, but let's, let's start in Genesis. Let's kind of take a journey through the scriptures with the idea of breath. Um, in Genesis 2-7, I didn't send you my scriptures, did I? My heavens. Genesis 2-7. Well, how? Anyways. And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So from the origin of mankind, breath was required for life. So God spoke everything we see into existence, but he breathed life into man. He didn't breathe the stars. He didn't breathe the sun and the moon. He didn't breathe the meadows or the mountains or the waterfalls. He breathed one thing. It was life into mankind. So throughout the scriptures, we see breath symbolizing some form of life. In Ezekiel, um, in Ezekiel 37, it says this, it says, I'm going to go through these quick, so it's okay, but it says, Thus saith the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall what? Live. Breath being life. And I will lay sinews upon you, you will cause flesh to come upon you, you will cover with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. In Psalms 104, 29 through 30, it says, When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. But when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Again, breath being something that symbolizes life or life being taken when breath goes away. Something interesting about the breath of God is it doesn't just create, it also renews. So it has this creative power, but it also has this renewing power about it. We see that many times, not just in the scripture, we see that breath can renew something, can restore something, can reform something, and it can also create from scratch something brand new. In Job 27.3, it says, as long as my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. Now, now you're going to find, especially throughout the Old Testament, that breath was, it was creative, yes. Also, it could renew, reform, it could restore, yes. But it also had this element that it was fleeting. You could lose it. It could be taken. It could be stolen. Breath was something that if stolen, if taken, if lost, meant something was done, it was over. And and we... We sing songs about the breath of God and we, 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 we read on and on and on about this idea. Again, in Job 33, 4, it says, The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The next chapter of Job, he's talking about it again. It says, The Spirit of God has made me. Oh, I just copied and pasted the same scripture. Well, in 34, verse 14. Can you put up Job 34, 14 through 15? I'll read that from this. So we feel and we read this tension with breath. There's a tension there. There's this tension between it's essential for life, it's essential for creation, it's essential for renewal, restoring, reforming, but it's also the tension is, but if we lose it, 
from us. We can't let it be taken from us. We can't misplace it. We can't let it go. Yeah, it says, if he set his heart upon man, if he gather us unto himself, his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish. Everybody say perish with me. It's going to be an important word. Together, and man shall turn again unto dust. This idea that when breath is taken away, removed, we return back to the dust. We're no longer formed. We're no longer a creative thing. We're no longer alive. Now, this idea has weighed for generations upon thousands of years on people. The idea of life and life being taken or stolen. And it plays into... How can I put this? It, it plays into a, a theme, an overarching theme that we still see pop up, if you will, in especially in modern religion. And it's the idea that if you make some sort of mistake, if you, if you enter into the wrong sort of group of people, if you sacrifice your life in a way that you shouldn't have, that your breath can be stolen, it can be taken or it can be lost, and everything you've worked up till that moment is for naught, it's for nothing. It's this weight. We, we see it in the certainty of what we know. Because if we're not absolutely certain with the idea and the, what seems to be at times one of the most favorite themes of people in the Christian world, which I cannot fathom, and that is hell. I cannot fathom why somebody would get excited on Friday afternoon when they're putting their message together or Wednesday or Saturday night or Sunday morning. Why they think to themselves, you know what would be really fun this weekend? If I preach on sin, repentance, and hell. I mean, for me, it's like, this is the good news, right? And if I'm going to if I'm going to say the reason you should serve God is because you don't want to lose your breath. Because just as quickly as it was breathed into Adam, breathed into you and me, it can be taken away. Because I am God and I am all loving, but I'm also watching you. Don't misstep. We, we even teach that to our kids. We say, did you hear about such and such who had this terrible tragedy? Just one mistake in their life was over. It was taken don't you do the same thing? And we, we, we ingrain this idea that this breath of ours is something that throughout history can be gone in a moment. I don't know how we believe in eternal life and, and peddle that nonsense. I don't know how we believe in the cross and think that that's the message of the gospel. Don't screw up or your breath will be stolen or taken or lost forever. Breath is life. How many people, going back to last week, today, are sitting at home, not tuning into a service, not even thinking necessarily about God or faith or religion or their future or whatever that looks like, who are isolated, alone, maybe upset, maybe angry, maybe in turmoil, maybe in anxiety, who, who didn't, aren't in that place necessarily because something, somebody did something to them, although that has happened to many people. 
but are in that place because they believe something they did. They lost their chance. Their chance was taken. Their chance was stolen away from them by their action or by their decision. And they don't ever see themselves back in right standing with God. Isolated and alone. Believing the, the lie. Well, let me get my phone real quick. This week when I was listening to this record, something that just... People were like, it's an album, it's not a record, you're old. I'm sorry, but Michael is the coolest person I know, and he says record, so. Deal with it. Plus, records are back. And none of mine are in the right sleeves, by the way. Shocker. You want to listen to Coldplay? You got to go to Elton John's cover, all right? It's in there. It's a song called Eden on here, and I'm not going to play it because um, I'm not. But I'm going to read. I'm going to read to you this. It says, "Oh, the vast extent of my regrets and all my deepest fears were buried in a garden where you wept in blood and tears." For you climbed a hill not yours to climb. They thought your fate was sealed. For the serpent tried to take you down, but he only bruised your heel. See, the empty grave is overgrown. Oh, I could just preach that, but I'm not going to help me next week. And the earth begins to heal. For the enemy is overthrown, and the darkness finally yields. So now I don't owe a thing to death, should it ever, should ever he appear. For death can only borrow breath. It no longer can be, it, uh, no longer can he steal. Let me say that again because I messed it up. Like a moron, okay? And the darkness, so I, I don't owe a thing to death should ever he appear. For death can only borrow breath. No longer can he steal. I, when I read that, I thought, if we would understand that the, uh, the breath the creative, regenerative, reforming, restoring breath of God can never be stolen again. We can never be lost again. I'm going to prove it to you in the word of God. It can never be stolen, lost, or forgotten again. The breath of God, the breath inside of us can only be borrowed for a moment. And we're the only ones that let it be borrowed. You see, the difference between borrowing and stealing is a matter of ownership. When something is stolen, it changes ownership. When something is borrowed, it still belongs to the same owner. And nobody can take or steal your breath or mine. See, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, this will make sense together. I, I hope this puzzle is going to come together. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living spirit. You see, the last Adam is Jesus. The first Adam had the breath of God breathed into him, but then he could eventually, that breath would leave him. But the last Adam being Jesus, he, he finished something that we see an issue or a problem with the first Adam. But he finished something that we're going to read here. But it says, in the scripture, it says that the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Which means he didn't just live, he gave life. John 10.10, which we're going to read in a moment, says that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. 
we, we, have, we have for generations, we have fought this idea of can our breath be stolen? Can our life be taken? Can we find ourselves in a place where God's life and his breath and his love can no longer reach us? Can we really forfeit this breath that he breathed inside of us? So I read the most basic, everybody learns it, first scripture right off the bat, John 3, 16. It says he gave his son to replace, oh, we, we know it together, this is my take on it, but uh, for God so loved the world, come on, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever shall perish, there's that word again, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So let's read this together, because I'm going to read this in a different thing. The entire cosmos is the object of God's affection, and he is not about to abandon his creation. The gift of his son is for mankind to realize their origin in him, who mirrors their authentic birth, begotten not of flesh, but of the Father. In this persuasion, the life of the ages echoes within the individual and announces that the day of regret and the sense of lostness are over. Now, in the Greek, this is, this is some of the stuff you can extract out of it. There's a word in the Greek that is used for perish almost every time you find it, and there's a Hebrew equivalent of it. That word for perish simply means to lose or to have something stolen. So when he says we will no longer perish, he's saying we will no longer lose or have something stolen from us. The word is, let me read it here for you, it's apolumi. It's really fun to say. You should try it with me. Apolumi. Apolumi, kids. All right. It's a, it, it means this, to lose, to emphasize the fact that you cannot be lost unless you belong to begin with. It also suggests a sense of uselessness, that which comes to ruin and amounts to nothing. So this is this idea that something we have can be taken away from us. And he said this, simply, in, in John 10, we find the word again. It, it's, it's literally the, the scripture that says, I came to give them life and life more abundantly. It, it, it literally means this. It says, this, the thief has no other agenda but to steal, to kill, and he couldn't care less if he lost some sheep. But I've come with the sole purpose for you to have life in its most complete form. The enemy wants you and I to believe that our life can be stolen. The enemy wants you and I to believe that something we've done or have done or will do can somehow cancel God's promise over our life. The enemy wants you to think that we're still in that state believing that what God's given us is fleeting. When Jesus comes and he says, no, I have come and I have come to be buried and to be crucified and to die a death I didn't deserve. So no, I came to have my life stolen, taken from me. I'm going to actually give it up freely so that your life will never be stolen or taken again. The, 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 we find it again in Luke uh, 15. It says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So we look at that scripture and say, how the heck does that tie in? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> that scripture is about him being willing to make sure that no one is lost, even if they took the wrong turn. Do you know which word they use for lost there? Apollumi. 
When they're talking about the lost sheep, it's the Apollumi sheep. It's the sheep that is lost. It is the sheep that we, we've pitched it like this. And maybe that's true. We're like, well, that sheep wandered off. You know, God was just gracious enough to go after it. That might be true. Also, it could have just gotten divided from the flock. You know, people are divided from a church community today, not because of something they did, but something just scared them, diverted them. They thought they were going to this pasture. They took a left. They lost sight of the shepherd, and they're gone. And it might have been a shepherd and a group of sheep they needed to run from. Let that sit with you. But we we always blame the, the sheep. We always blame the sheep and say, well, that sheep just must have wandered off, you know. That we get nothing out of all of Luke 15. We don't find out why the sheep, we don't find out, is it the sheep's fault? Was it the shepherd's fault? Was it one of the other sheep who told that sheep, you can't run with us anymore because you're wearing Burks? <laughs> no, it's not the Burks I had a problem with, but this one back here was wearing slides. And that is not cool, okay? <laughs> can't love Jesus and wear slides playing the drums? Come on now. No, what What happened? The point of this, and the reason I believe nothing specific is referenced, is because he's saying the good shepherd doesn't care why the sheep is separated from the 99. The good shepherd isn't trying to figure out, did the sheep wander off? Did another sheep scare it? Did the shepherd lead it the wrong way? Did it get confused? Did it get scared? What happened? And that's going to determine what I do. No, there's no determination. Jesus came to give life. That word there is ruah. It's the breath of God. That life to breathe and to breathe and to breathe and to breathe. And John 3.16 says, so that none would perish, so that none would see and be lost or have their breath ever stolen again. The good shepherd came to make sure that you and I stopped letting things borrow our breath because it can't steal it anymore, but in our minds it can. So we let stuff borrow our breath. The good shepherd came to remind us that no matter what you've done, where you've been, where you're going, how good you've been, how bad you've been, the breath of God is the breath of God. And he's not trying to figure out why you're divided or why your breath has been borrowed for a minute and you feel like it's gone. He just keeps breathing life and breathing life and breathing life and breathing life. So you might say, Pastor Dan, why are we giving that person six chance, seven chance, eight chance? Because I'm not the one who wrote this. And I'm not the one that breathes life into them. I could preach till I'm blue in the face. I'm not breathing life. There's one that breathes life. And he decides who gets the life and who doesn't. And whether the sheep did it on its own or it got lost for a different reason, it still deserves to be found. It still deserves to live. It still deserves to be protected. It still deserves not to be stolen. It still deserves not to be apple to perish, to be lost, to be gone. See, this resets our mind. I, I am probably, I'm very passionate a lot about a lot of things when it comes to the, that's a good thing for your pastor to be passionate about the Bible, but I'm very passionate about some things. One of them I'm very passionate about is screaming from the top of the mountain that bad religion is worse than anything that the evil little devil enemy, Satan, whatever you want to call it, can ever drum up. Bad religion is because we can we can go like, you know, if I go out and rob a bank, no one's going to convince me that that was God. But how many people have been getting convinced something was God, but it was the most hurtful and damaging and divisive thing done in the name of God? And if we divide and hurt in the name of God, we're, we're worse than Satan. 
Come on. If we divide people and decide this one and that one and you're allowed in and you're not allowed in and this one's... I got a, I got a letter from somebody this week. Or a, a, I say letter. I am old. Record, letter. What's next? A-track. Play that A-track back there for me when we get done with the service, okay? Um, I, uh, I got a letter this week and, and a gentleman said to me, he said, started going to my church. He's not in this area. He said, started going to my church. I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, started going to my church and was a part of it. Started going through their growth track. I got through the growth track, and he said, and I was honest that I was gay. And when I got to that part, um, they sat me down. They said, we know you've gone through the growth track. We know you've been coming to, to church here. You can't become a member. Member? I mean, let alone, like, you know, volunteer or, you know, be a part of leading anything. He just said, you can't become a member. He wrote me a letter. He said, I wish I had a church in my area. Listen to this. He said, I just wish I had a church in my area that I could become a member. He's not living in the sticks. He just wants to become a member. He just wants to feel like he's a part of something. He wants to feel like he can worship with a community of people. I'm telling you what. It's because we have sold the lie that for whatever you are or whatever you've got going on in your life, that somehow that's going to forfeit the breath of God. That's going to forfeit the life of God. And so as a church, we don't have to recognize you as a member because you're not sticking to our rules. That is a load of you-know-what. There's kids in the room, but I want to say things, all right? It is a bad, bad deal because the truth is God's breath is indiscriminate. It breathes on every living being, and it keeps breathing and breathing and breathing. And we go, don't breathe on that one. He goes, watch me. And he breathes life into them. And you know what? Not just life, but life more abundantly. Oh, that'll tickle some of our, that'll get under our religious skin. Oh, you're just not going to give them life. You're going to give them life more abundantly. Yeah, we're going to give them life more abundantly. You live and thrive in God. You get to know your creator. You get to know who you are. You get to be seen. You get to be loved. You get to be seen as a human being who's connected to God and doing everything they can to worship their king and their creator. That's what you get. You don't get this half-sized little thing that goes, well, you can go through a growth track, but you can't become a member. What? It's despicable. And then the idea that you have a whole town or a whole city and no one in the whole city thinks anything different than that? When I start talking fast, that means I'm mad. That makes me so mad. And I'm so passionate about that. It's not just how I feel. It is the word of God. I can prove this to you. We don't have the time. A hundred million different ways. Maybe not a hundred million. That's exaggerating. A thousand different ways. I can prove to you that God doesn't care what anyone else thinks or what religion has said. His breath can no longer be stolen. It can no longer be taken. And the breath of God is being poured out upon all mankind. The scripture says, my spirit will be poured out upon all mankind, all flesh. If you've got skin, the breath of God is being poured out on you. If you've got flesh, the breath of God is being poured out on you. I'm not there with like a, 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 like a special breath catcher. They're just like, no, not you. No, I don't, I don't think, it, how dare any of us put ourselves and think that we're that lofty, that righteous. 
self-righteousness, not the righteousness that comes through Jesus, that we think we can stop the breath of God from reaching somebody. No way. And not only do we want to clear the path and make sure that everybody receives the breath of God, we want to be, we want to be vessels of God's breath, breathing life upon people around us. And somebody comes in with their head down and they're thinking, oh man, I don't know if I should. You know, you know how many people in this church today right now have come back to church for the first time in five years, eight years, 10 years, 15 years. We had somebody come uh, maybe two months ago that hadn't been to church in over 30 years. Do you know how excited I get? I am sad and I am excited. I'm sad excited, okay? I have this weird connection. I have this weird time. I'm angry and I'm sad, but I'm also excited because I'm like, oh, the lie, the greatest lie ever told is coming to an end in their life. They bought it for 30 years. They bought it for eight years. They bought it for three years. And the lie is this, whatever I am or whatever I've done, I'm sure God has nothing to do with me. And meanwhile, he looks at the 99 of us and goes, hey, I'm not going to be here with you guys today. I'm going after the one, the one who's isolated, the one who thinks that they are apolumi, that they're lost, that they've perished, that their breath and life could be stolen. I'm going after them. And I'm going to breathe life and life more abundantly into them. I'm going to make sure they know that they're just as important as anyone else that comes in here. They're just as important. I'm going to, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to reverse the lie over their life. The only issue is, is that it's very rare that God just does that supernaturally. He usually does it through me and you. I have had conversations with people. I am going to get down here. I'm sorry. Forgive me for I know not what I do. Is it going to bring in the speakers? Eh, we'll be fine. We have the greatest audio tech known to man. I have been uh, so many times, we, uh, many of us have, where I have somebody has been this. They've, they've been, you know, like, Jakima, come here, cause, just because I like to pick on you and you're not shy, okay? And they'll say this, and they'll be talking to me and say, hey, you know, and, and I, I know the look. I know the look. I can see it coming. First of all, they usually come and they sit in the back of the church. They come early. They don't slip in after the service starts. They come early. They will come early to check it out, to get a vibe, so they can exit before there's too many people there in case the vibe is off. Because there's that much fear inside of them. There's people from all walks of life in our community right now scared to death to walk into the house of worship. So they come in, they sit in the back, and they have this look. And they try not to make eye contact. We might be doing sound check or whatever. They're not making eye contact. You know I'd be lying for them. I do. And I'm a lot. <laughs> what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I can see in the face. And this is, I, I'm telling you, I've heard this hundreds of times in the last five years. Head down. Put your head down. I know it's hard for you to do, but you put your head down. Head down. And I'll meet them. Hey, I'm, I'm Dan. And they'll pick their head up. And they'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Jakima. I'll have to ask them like 14 more times to get their name right. Amy, I remember your name. I got it. Adrian, Gabriel. That is all I got for today. Dash, okay. And Zano? Zano? Zano. Oh, man, that's good. All right, I'm getting to it. Okay. So, you know, I just, and I look at them, and they're like, you know, I, and they start a story. It's always this, this story of horrific things that have happened. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me the horrible things that have been done in the name of God. Yeah. And I've heard, you guys may not get to hear them, you've experienced them, but you may not get to hear them. I hear story after story after story after story. You say, why do you get so excited? 
They have to calm me down because they'll say to me, hey, my mom will say to me, Aaron will say to me, Robin will say to me, hey, don't get too negative on other places or other churches. And I'm not trying to because there's a lot of great churches, a lot of great people. I'm not down on a specific church. I'm down on what seems to be the majority of the messaging from church, which beats people down and beats them up. I'm, I'm being real with you. Certain people, certain people. If you're rich and pretty and have the right skin color, I said it. You won't get beat up. Are you rich? <laughs> That's why. So they, they, they have their head down, they do this. And I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. I say, hey, I will stop them. It's not because I'm ADD, although I have a little bit going on. It's not because I don't want to hear them. I've just heard this hundreds of times. And I know they're getting ready to lay out all the reasons that other people have said that their breath has been stolen. But guess what? It's not just what other people believe. They also believe it. They're carrying that as truth. And there's thousands of people in our community that are carrying that truth around with them. So I stop them because I don't want them to rehearse it again. I don't want them to imprint that again on their heart. Don't say it again because it's a lie. Matter of fact, don't ever, don't ever say it again. And anyone who says it about you, get them out of your life. And this is what else I'll say. Stop. And I'll look up. I'll look them in the eyes and I'll say this. I, we can talk about your story later and sit down and have coffee and do all that. I want to tell you, it actually, none of that matters because God loves you and anything else has been a lie. And he loves you as much as anyone else who's here in our leadership, in our pastoral team, on our board. God loves you just as much. And he wants to do just as amazing things with your life. Please Please listen to me. I will get, I'll say, please listen to me. I know that I know, I know you don't know me, but I know that I know that I know that that stuff was a lie. Thank you. I don't know why I need you, but I didn't want to speak to just nothing, okay? It's a lie. And we have a responsibility to replace what for thousands of years haunted people, this idea of the breath being fleeting. I, um, it's like the Holy Spirit has symbolized this breath, right? And we can go like, the Holy Spirit's like a dove. It's, you know, just step, I've heard this preached, just step the wrong way, and the Holy Spirit just flies off like a dove scared, just doesn't come back. I'm like, the most symbolic thing that the Holy Spirit, first of all, talks about being the breath of God, but then the most, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the upper room didn't get like a swarm of doves, it got a wind, and not just any wind. It got a rushing wind, and it didn't get just get a rushing wind. It got a mighty rushing wind and fire. It was all-consuming. You want to try to stop a wind? We tried. Punta Gorda tried. Venice tried. Naples and Fort Myers tried. How'd that go down? Wind cannot be stopped, and it can't be scared away. I could have been on my porch saying, Now, Hurricane Ian, I bind you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people did it, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. But guess what? The wind is coming. Somewhere. Are you with me? You try to stop the wind. The Holy Spirit, although it's not destructive, when the Holy Spirit, the breath of God blows the Holy Spirit upon humanity, it doesn't just like, wind doesn't just go, skip a house, Hit a house, skip a house, hit a house. Oh, that house was painted purple. Nope, skip that one. Next one, white, hit it. That's not what happens. The Holy Spirit 
is like wind and fire. It is indiscriminate, which means it does not care who it consumes. And the breath of God, as symbolized with creation, as symbolized when those bones came together in Ezekiel, as symbolized in the life of Job, as symbolized in the life of Christ, as symbolized when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it is, it is not looking for specific people. It is breathed upon, everyone say all, all mankind, so that none would be lost or stolen or perish. church that believes that the breath of God is breathing upon all mankind and breath is life and you and I carry it which means all mankind is waiting for you and I to wake up get out of our routine and stop for a moment and find someone who is isolated alone and breathe some life into them you don't have to be as intense as me because half of those people never come back that's the part I don't tell you about you don't have to be that intense. You can just stop and speak some positive words of life and joy and some hope for somebody in their life and let them know that you care and they are seen. And if you are here today and you feel isolated and alone or you feel like somehow your life has led you to a point where your breath has been stolen, it has not been stolen, it's only been borrowed. And all it takes is for you to call whatever in your life has lied to you told you that your breath has been stolen. Whatever the things in your life that distract you from the breath and the life of God, you need to call on the phone and say, hey, you've been borrowing that for five years. Bring it back. Bring it back. You've been borrowing my life for 10 years. Bring it back. I'm not going to buy into your lie anymore. You've had it long enough that I've started to believe you stole it, but I've been reminded on Sunday, there's no more stealing my breath can only be borrowed. This, this is a, there's a lot more to it, but this is, this is the puzzle that's been in my mind this week. This is something that, man, I just want us to root down deep in our souls so that none of us would buy into the lie. You say, Pastor Dan, how do you know this to be true? Would you stake your life on it? Yeah, I am. That's my plan. Yeah, I am. I'm so confident John 3.16 says, whoever believes. That's all it takes. That's all, that's the only barrier. Is it, do you believe? That's it. But what about this scripture and that scripture? Let me follow you around for a week, all right? Three quarters of you weren't here on New Year's Day. I'm sure New Year's Eve you broke one of those 400, 500, 600 mosaic laws.
borrowed my grill three years ago, bring it back. It's that easy. That's it. It can be one sentence somebody spoke over your life and we believe it's gone. It's not. It's not been borrowed. I'll talk for another three hours, so let's stand up so we pray and get out of here. wasn't too awkward. Okay. No. One time I did a running leap up here. I regretted it the rest of my life.